Greetings and welcome to Let's Talk About Books, baby. This is Anita Kelly and we will be talking with your favorite LGBTQ authors. And uh, this week, my guest is Lori A. Egan. Hi, Lori. Hi there, Anita. How are you? <laughs> I am good. How are you doing? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, staying safe and healthy. I am. I'm being. I'm doing what I always do, which is working. So it's not that much different for me. Uh, unfortunately, for other people, that's uh, another matter. But yes, I'm. I'm doing well. Awesome. Glad to hear that. Yeah, for some people, it's a big change, right? Yes. Yeah, and of course, we're referring to the uh, quarantine the uh that we're experiencing right now so mm -hmm. um so Lori, where do you live where are you on the east coast yes i am i'm on the northern coast of new jersey in fact my house looks out over the bay and manhattan and the ocean so i'm up very high on a hill <laughs> as oh. a matter of fact awesome <laughs> all right yeah. so yeah. it's especially important for you to stay uh inside right now i um you know i hear that 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 portion of new jersey has uh, a high covid rate it does in fact for a while we were um only second to the area around bergen county which is really hard hit but which seems like it's gotten slightly better but it's still pretty ferocious so yes i'm being very careful yeah, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I understand that. Um, yeah, we'll be uh, kind of cresting, and then uh, in the next two weeks. So <laughs> maybe, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, let's keep our fingers crossed. So, um, so Lori, how long have you been writing? <laughs> well, I started at age seven, and I began writing poetry. Uh, in fact, the first poem I ever wrote, I was in the bathtub of all places. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I began my first novel at age 12 and finished it a year later, and then wrote some poems and short stories in high school, and then decided to go into graphic design and, and photography and went to Carnegie Mellon. So... Uh, I sort of kept going with the poetry, but I really didn't seriously begin to get back to my writing until uh, about 1995. And then I've been working pretty much full time since then um, on on the uh, you know stories, but mostly novels. So you were doing um, graphic design up until 1995. I was doing uh, book design. I worked for Princeton University Press for quite a few years, and then I freelanced as a book designer to about 20 publishers. So I've got a really strong background of um, both the editorial side, production and design. And so that's been really a big help for my writing and for, you know, dealing with publishers. Yeah. And it's been really great. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and how do you think that that background has helped you with publishers? Well, sometimes it's hurt, actually, because I, I've had so much experience. I mean, during my career, I designed over, well over, um, probably almost 2,000 books. So as a result, uh, you know, I've, I've dealt with a lot of really high-level editors, and, and so sometimes I know a little more than most authors do. And dealing with some of the younger publishers, that can be a problem. But on the other hand, uh, when it works, it's great because uh, we both are, are, you know, really looking to get a good product out and, and 
that's often the case that it happens. Okay. So, um, so in 1995, you left that world and decided to write full time. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, semi retired then. I'm really, I'd say since 2000, so almost the last 20 years I've been at this, uh, craft here. That's fantastic. That really is. So, um, do you think that in that time, like since you've become a full time writer, do you think your writing has changed? Uh, I would say it has in many ways. I mean, hopefully it's gotten better uh, as I've gotten more experience and I've had more people read my work and make comments and I've had, you know, really good editors uh, to deal with who have made really smart suggestions. Um, but then, too, my interest has sort of changed and I'm uh, really, I think, a very unusual writer in the sense that I don't just stick to one type of writing or one exact genre. Uh, so, um, in a sense, I've moved from a little bit more psychological suspense, a la Patricia Highsmith type, I guess, stories, to things that are a little more literary in the last few years. Okay, and and um, you cross over genres, right? Um, yes. And so, what is your favorite genre to write? What What would ah. you say? I couldn't say. Okay. <laughs> I really couldn't say. I'd love to be able to. In fact, I think this sort of frustrates people that read my work because they think they're going to get more of the same, and, and frequently that's not the case. Um, I have six books of fiction that have been published, all traditionally, and they go from the first one that is a psychological suspense set in Venice, Jenny Kidd, uh, and the last one, The Ungodly Hour, which just came out um, March 3rd, is much in the same um, genre, that sort of suspense, uh, as Jenny Kidd. But then in between, I have some literary works and a comedy. So it's all over the map. Wow, that's pretty amazing. That's that's kind of unusual, don't you think? I do. I, I don't know anybody else who does exactly what I've been doing. And I've been settling in a little more on the literary side in the last three or four books that haven't been published yet, but one's under contract. Um, all of them are under, you know, submission. So uh, I'm, I'm playing around a little bit, but I, I find that I often go with whoever my character is and, you know, or the setting or the situation that brings me to write in a different way. So um, let's talk about that for a minute. So do, sure. do your you said you go with whatever character you're with, and and do your characters actually talk to you? Uh, yeah, I hate to admit it, but <laughs> <laughs> we won't fact, tell I anyone. Sometimes think I might might have multiple personality disorders. Like <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, I have a couple of these uh, novels where uh, the character has been has come in really loud and clear. Um, fabulous and opera buffa, which is a comedy. I was sitting on my deck one day looking out over the ocean and this gay opera singer, a male came swooning in and he was so funny. Uh, and I finally, I said, okay, you win. And I came in and I started to write him and his voice was just as clear as a bell in my head. So he was definitely sort of like a channeled character and yeah. he came through and then 
I've had another one in a story that um, was a really young psychopath. He was scared me to death. <laughs> <laughs> and I was very glad to finish him off, but uh, that was another case. And then uh, the book that I had published in the fall, A Bittersweet Tale, I had a name in my head when I woke up in the morning. And as soon as I typed it in, and he came. So in, in a couple of cases, it's definitely been a, a voice or something that like that that has uh, been the inspiration for our novel so um in fabulous and opera buffa comedy okay so do you do you actually know someone in real life who is um similar to that main character uh uh-uh, not no. really uh, that's wow. the voice that i i can't say i know um, I have had experience in the opera as a photographer. I worked at the Met uh, as a freelancer and Lincoln Center and Opera Company of Philadelphia. So uh, I have had experience about opera, but not not with a particular character like this. Uh, he just came in. He was he had me laughing. I, what can you do? You know, he, he was absolutely irresistible. <laughs> That's amazing. That's really, really. Um... Uh, that's that's unique, I think. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, um, so you mentioned that you have several different novels published to date, and I think you have one that just recently was released, right? Like last month. Yes, the ungodly hour, which um is a sort of a, a this is pretty much an LGBTQ mystery um and a romance set on Mykonos, which is, uh, the setting was what really inspired that one. And the book has just come out, and unfortunately, so many of the readings in my launch was canceled, canceled because of the the virus. Uh, so I am uh, very happy to <laughs> be able to mention this on a podcast. Um, the yeah. book is, is really, um, was a lot of fun to write, and it's a place I've been a couple of times, and I photographed there, so... Um, I, you know, really have a very strong visual sense about the island. So tell us a little bit about the book. Can you do that? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, it's, it's the, the main character is uh, a photographer and she's teaching a workshop on the island where she spends her summers. And accidentally one morning she's out early and she takes a photograph of this Uh, character on the street down below her and she doesn't think anything of it until uh, it turns out she photographed a killer just after he had done um, his job and so she gets entangled um, in this whole murder mystery and then in the process a a young very attractive policewoman uh, comes to help her investigate and then they start a romance so it's a combination of um, you know, this this sort of dark, ominous feeling and then the excitement and the brightness of the island and of the um, the budding, you know, relationship that the two women have. So it's sort of uh, both mostly a mystery, but also um, has some romantic elements that are very strong. Oh, that sounds like a great one. I, yeah. Uh, yeah, I have to check that out. Um, so what? who, who are... Yeah. <laughs> Are you publishing with um, the same publishing house for all of your works? or have No, you I haven't, actually. Um, what's, ha- what's happened is that because my work has shifted somewhat in terms of genre, or in one case, the publisher um, went under, um, 
And so as a result, and in one publisher that did two of my books, uh, my, my short story collection, Fog and Other Stories, and the Outcast Oracle, a young adult novel, uh, that was the um, published by the Humanist Press, which is a subsidiary of the American Humanist Association. So their books are really tailored to something with a humanist approach. So I couldn't go back to them again. So um, I've been trying to find, you know, a really good publisher that would handle some of my bridge novels in between the uh, general readership and also, um, you know, LGBTQ uh, type types of books. Mm-hmm. So I haven't really had a chance to 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 really zero in on one, okay. and, and my comedy was was picked because of the humor, not because it's a a gay story. Okay. <laughs> so I couldn't go back to that publisher either, although I really loved them. They were really great. Yeah. Okay. It's uh, that's always good to uh, you know have a good publishing house. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I would love to. I'd love to just settle on one, but it just doesn't seem to be happening so far. Okay. Um, and so how many books do you have published to date then? I have six books of fiction and four volumes of poetry um, that are also out, all these traditionally published. Um, the, the poetry is only really available through my website because the publisher's arrangement is that he keeps any profits from books that he sells and I keep whatever profit I get from books I sell. So it's, it's actually a very nice arrangement, but, um, you know, it would be go to my website, which is my name, lauriaegan.com. Okay. Awesome. Good to know. Um, so is your audience then, uh, more mainstream or is it more LGBTQ? I would, tend to think a little bit on the mainstream side. Um, I don't know. I mean, that I don't write for an audience, uh, mm-hmm. particularly. Um, even the books that have gay characters, I'm not so sure that are, are you know, exclusively for um, that community. Uh, I'm really happy when I, I do sell in that community, and I'm really, really glad and appreciative of that. But I would say I'm more um, bridging the gap between those two re- you know, sets of readers. I don't know that I really, um, I, for example, The Ungodly Hour, even though it has you know, a lesbian protagonist, that was marketed primarily as a mystery. So uh, that's interesting. Okay. Wow, yeah, that is. That is. So, um I'm um assuming that most of uh my listeners are LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. Um so maybe you'll you'll pick up uh, a broader audience then. Well, I would love to do that because I mean, you know, several of these books are really strong for this market and um, and this one, The Ungodly Hour, is just, you know, it's it's wonderful. If you've want, ever wanted to go to Mykonos and right now can't do it, this is a good time to take a sort of armchair trip. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, it's a very visual book. So, you know, you really get a sense of the island. Oh, uh, and for funny. those that have been there, you know, that's a treat, too. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that sounds nice. So how would one find um, The Ungodly Hour? Where would that be available to them? 
Well, um, all of my all of my fiction are available, obviously, on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, etc. But Interlude Press is the publisher from the un- for the Ungodly Hour, and you can go to their store and buy it. Um, it's available both in ebook and paperback. Oh, great! Fantastic. Okay, um, and and how did you? become so involved in the writing world was it just through your love of writing as a child and that just kind of blossomed and fostered into um the publishing world um Uh, yeah um i began because i was i was an only child and i i lived in a beautiful area actually very close to where i live now um but there weren't very many kids around and without any siblings, and my mother was a painter, so she was in the studio all day not to be bothered, and my father was at work. So I started to write just because I was sort of self-entertaining and also a way to sort of get through uh, some of the feelings I had, and that's how it began. And then, you know, there's never been a time I haven't written something uh, ever since then. And, uh, I think it, you know, I, I still use it for the same purpose. Um, and then I, you know, got into publishing as sort of a marriage between my graphic design degree and my love of, of books and the word. So I always was able to manage to do both a bit. That's really nice. That's, um, it's not often that, um, an author can kind of, meld their worlds together you know mm-hmm. um so that's really nice um, yeah that's a good point that's exactly what's happened plus the photography has added a whole visual element which is really obvious in my poetry but i think it's also obvious in my fiction too okay and what what um are your uh works of poetry about are they dark foreboding or light and airy or how would you describe them well um two of these are full-length collections uh snow shadows the stranger which i think sort of tells you a little bit about that one um Mm -hmm. beneath the lion's paw is also and then i have two chapbooks which are shorter um pieces that um the Sea and Beyond is about the ocean and how it thinks of itself as all-powerful. It's sort of like a catalog of the ocean's um, egotistical traits, so to speak. Oh, that's pretty and, cool. And Presence and Absence is the last one, and that was dealing with the loss of um, my my wife from pancreatic cancer. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, but it's, it's sort of a little more about the whole process also of aging, you know, getting to a certain point in your life when you know, there's more more time behind you than forward and, you know, sort of coming to grips with that and so that the book has got some sort of timeliness for people my age or, you know, even a few years younger or a few years older. Oh, that's cool. That's great. I'll have to check that out. Um, yeah, the aging process is, is not easy to, uh, you know, kind of digest i'll say (laughs) (laughs) so um so tell us about about your writing process so i know you said that um in uh fabulous um an opera buffa that Mm -hmm. the character spoke to you um and you know you just kind of created it um and and how about in your in your other books do you 
Um, do the characters speak to you? Do you um, outline? Do you have some idea about where you want to go? Um, you know, or do you, your characters just take you where they want to go? Um, I would say, other than the ones that are sort of voice activated, as you might say, uh, and or setting activated, sometimes the plot might start as a what-if problem. What if this happened? What would occur? Okay. Um, but, it, you know, in most cases, I would say that um, I am pretty much an organic writer. I, I, I sort of let the characters go and see what happens. And then, you know, I have to reroute sometimes or I get stuck uh, and have to back up or change something. So that's not unusual. Occasionally I have an end zone in mind, so I know where I'm going to go. But I don't always know how I'm quite going to get there. Uh, but that's half the fun of the writing. I, I just can't imagine sitting down with a chart or, a, you know, index cards or a bulletin board with, you know, the flow of and the plot arc and all of that. I just, just can't, can't imagine doing that. I think it would be um, a little too mechanical for me. Okay. I can understand that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, uh, it, it's an, an, an art. Right. So um, kind of art is kind of fluid. So um, you kind of just go with the flow. <laughs> yeah. And otherwise, I think you're sort of forcing uh, your characters into a mold that, that might be too might not fit them, actually. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes when you don't have a voice uh, uh, in your head uh, and let's say you're having to discover your character, you need to let them be a little bit and then come forward on you because sometimes uh, your first uh, impression of this, it would be just like meeting somebody for the first time. You might get, you know, get who they are wrong and you'd have to sort of live with them for a bit and write, uh, you know, quite a bit of um, behavior and scenes before you can actually be sure that you've got the character down and you really understand who he or she is. Do you have a favorite character? Of yours? <laughs> oh, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> no one ever wants to say. It's like, you know, they, they people say it's like having like children. Like, you, uh-huh. know, yeah, you, you don't want to choose one over the other. Actually, I think one of my favorite characters is in a book that I can't understand why it hasn't been accepted somewhere. And it's, um, it's called Once Upon an Island, and it's set on St. Croix in 1965. And it's got a little bit of an autobiographical feel to it. So maybe that's why I like the character so much. But um, I would say that's probably a favorite character. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. And and it's, um, and, and it's not published, right? Nope. It's out under consideration along with about five or six other novels. Oh, cool. Um, wow. You yeah. must be busy. How many books do you think you write in a year? Well, it's hard to say. Uh, I think a first draft usually takes me about eight to nine months, and then, but then I do a huge amount of revising and polishing. So sometimes I, I put them aside, do something else, come back to them, or send them out to a developmental editor that I occasionally um, hire, or some beta readers. And then I go back over it again, depending on what they say. So, you know, by the time the thing is done, it could be years away from when it started or, or, or not, depending on the circumstances. Okay. So um, who are some of your favorite authors? Okay, another good question. Uh, just like my, my uh, 
writing is all over the map. So is my reading, I'd say. Um, (laughs) Let me think now. Uh, I started out very much influenced by Patricia Highsmith, as I said. Mm -hmm. And uh, she just, I really was fascinated by her sort of spider web plots where an innocent protagonist gets, makes some wrong decisions and becomes completely entrapped uh, by usually in, in her cases, uh, sociopathic characters. Yeah. Um, I love Virginia Woolf, although the problem with Virginia Woolf is that when I start to write in that mode, it's just not right for these times because everybody wants to hit the ground running. I mean, a Mrs. Dalloway today would never in a million years get published probably because it's, it's, it starts out too slowly. Yeah. Um, I, I really like her, and Andy Pru- Annie Prue is a wonderful writer, um, and there there are a number of others. I love Michael Cunningham's The Hour, The Hours. That's one of my favorite books. Uh, okay. I think he did a brilliant job on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that one too. Um, all right, awesome. Those are all all like great, great authors, um, and um, very classic, like too, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so what words of wisdom (laughs) would you have for our readers who might be budding authors? Um, what, what would you say to them? Well, I have a lot of things to say about that because I get asked that a lot. (laughs) Do you really? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, at readings or book signings particularly, but I've also done some mentoring, and so I get that question a lot. Um, the first thing I'd say is don't start with a novel. Start with some short stories. Um, really learn your craft and learn your style. Uh, fix your bad habits because everybody's got them, and I am I certainly do myself even to this day. Um, and then find out which genre is the most comfortable for you, and that may take some time. Um, you know, but you need to build up a bio, and you know, first and probably non-paying journals because that's easier. And then you can try paying journals, although there's a big gulf between the two. Um, and then you know, if you want to start some longer fiction, a novel, which is a lot more complicated. Um, The main thing there is really work on your first page or two because that's essential because uh, all these agents and editors have very little time to read. And if you don't snag their interest right up front, you're done, you know, right away. Um, I I would strongly suggest use Chicago Manual of Style and learn your punctuation and usage. I'm really old school about that. Buy a really good dictionary, an unabridged dictionary, and don't rely on spell check or, or some of the grammar, you know, uh, applications. Um, and then finally, really to revise, revise, revise. Um, many people are way too quick to submit. You know, I think that you need to let a, a novel sit for weeks or months and then reread it online and on a hard copy. Um, have your beta readers go over the manuscript and listen to them, and you can afford a professional editor, hire one. Um, I think it's really gotten a very – the whole publishing world is really changing fast because it's so easy to submit uh, works to agents and editors and to send out mass submissions, and they're, everybody's so overloaded. It's making um, the slush pile so big. In, in both cases, that it's 
very, very hard to get either an agent or a publisher. Actually, I think it's easier getting a publisher than an agent. Hmm. Um, and I would just say avoid, you know, avoid self-publishing, please, please, please. I say, if I can say one thing, that's it. You're uh, reading my fiction, mind. I was going to ask you about that. Is a really bad, bad idea to self-publish. Um, Why is this, that? Well, there are a couple of reasons. One, you're not going to do yourself any good if you later are thinking that's going to help your biography with um, editors or agents. They they actually will think of it as a negative. Many bookstores won't allow self-published authors to read or display their books. Um, I can't tell you how many times when I've been reading to an audience, one of the questions I'm asked, is my work self-published? And they obviously consider this a negative. Um, the other big problem is unless you have a huge platform built in where you're really well known for some reason, you have to spend thousands of dollars for a professional publicist in addition to the thousands you've already spent for the editing and design uh, package. But even so, being discovered is really a tough problem. You can send out hundreds of requests for reviews or whatever, and you're just not going to get any traction. So I really think that anybody who is interested in being a serious writer should definitely, definitely go the traditional route first. And guess what? If the book is just rejected over 20 times, it probably needs work. So yeah. you shouldn't have published it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> those are those are great words of advice, really. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and not many people have an unabridged dictionary hanging around these days, you know? Uh, well, I have actually that, and I have an OED behind me. So okay. I always laugh when I start fighting with spell check, and, <laughs> and most of the time spell check's wrong and I'm right, but every once in a while I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So, all right. Well, uh, Lori, uh for our listeners, again, I just wanted to let them know that they can um, purchase The Ungodly Hour, which just came out uh, last month. And um, that's available um, through, is that Interlude Press? Yes, Interlude Press and or Amazon. Or Amazon. And how would our listeners contact you? Do you like to, to hear from listeners? Yeah, um, I'm on Facebook. Uh, I, I also am on Twitter, but I don't. I really still don't like that very much. Um, and my website uh, has a contact uh, uh, link that you can you can you know send me an email or something like that. Oh, and that would be you know um, laurieaegan.com, and it's Laurie L A U R Y. Uh, then Egan is E G A N. So um, I'm happy to answer any questions either through Facebook or um, through my website. Wonderful. All right. Well, thank you so much, Laurie, for being with us. Um, I really appreciate it. It was great talking to you. Um, and I actually am going to go check out The Ungodly Hour. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, All right. Well, thank you, Anita, very much. I, it was a pleasure talking with you. Absolutely. Um, I'm Anita Kelly, and that's all for today. Thanks for joining. Let's talk about books, baby. Um, be safe. 
and stay healthy. And until next time, may your journey be lighthearted and peace be plenty.